0: Well, good every, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's so good to have all of you on all of our campuses. Uh, I'm really excited about this series that we're in. Had a lot of good feedback for, for many of you from different campuses, just saying how much this Grace Conversation is helping you. And so for those of you that might be on one of our campuses this morning, and uh, you're just kind of joining in for the very first time, uh, we want to say welcome to you as well, because we are in our second week of a sermon series on grace, and it's entitled, Wake Up, Finding the Grace That's Found You. And uh, a sermon series, just in case you don't know what a sermon series is, is basically a three or four week conversation that we, is really one sermon over three or four weeks. That's a good way of saying it, so that you're not here for several hours. And we just kind of break it down into bite-sized pieces so that you can flesh it out. You can learn, go home, flesh it out, and we continue to have the conversation. So, kind of here's how we are defining this whole thing called grace as we begin this series, and that is this. It is grace is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. Because most of us, whenever we think about God, we don't think of God as giving us his favor. We think so many other things. Because, and it's why it's such a hard concept for us to grasp. Because if you really stop and think about it, grace isn't normally how things work in our world, is it? I mean, like, you just don't get things given to you. You have to earn them. It's like you reap what you sow, you get what you deserve. And the second reason this is a hard concept for us to grasp is because most of us, as I said, we were not taught that this is how God's work, that it's about his favor toward us. See, most of us, like our perception of God is like, if you want to be in a right standing with God, then like you better be good enough to make God happy. Because we've been told like there are these standards and if you live by these standards and, and if you're able to meet God's standard, then God is happy with you. But if you don't meet those standards, then God is like angry with you and judgment's on his way, right? Isn't that kind of how we've been taught? And you're like, we've not been taught that there's this amazing thing called grace that turns God favor toward us. In fact, if you were with us on Easter Sunday or even last week when we started this series, we we learned that our Heavenly Father really does extend abundant grace to us. And we also have learned over the last week is that until we experience God's grace for ourselves, it is like impossible to extend that grace to others. It's like we have to experience this kind of grace to be able to give that kind of grace to the people around us. Now, here's what's so remarkable about this thing called grace. Whenever enough of followers, people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, they embrace this so personally that it becomes like this everyday practice of their life to extend grace to all the people around them. That's when Christ followers make the greatest impact in this world. In fact, throughout history, starting with the early church in the book of Acts, the church has always been the most attractive. The church has always been the most appealing. The church has always been the most engaging when the message of grace was the most obvious. And that really makes perfect sense when you really stop and think about it. That grace, what it does is it really does address all the big issues and problems that we face in this life. In fact, here's what we're going to kind of discover today about this thing called grace, and that is this. Grace is the solution for sin, sorrow, and death. You might even want to write that down, that grace is the solution for sin, sorrow, and death. I mean, think about it. And think about all the circumstances and all the situations and all the problems that you have in your life. When you you think about what's happening around you in our communities, in our country, and even around the world. Like all of those issues and all of those crises, they can be traced right back to one of these three things. Sin, sorrow, or death. They are either a problem that was created by your own sin. Or they're a problem that comes out of the sorrow that was created because somebody else sinned. Or they're a problem that is related or some kind of sorrow that you're experiencing because of some death. But the reality is, is grace is the answer for all of the big issues in our life. It's like grace is how God addressed the mess that we created in this world. In fact, the reason that we do church and have a church, and have the gospel message going out is because we carry the most important message in this world. And here's the thing, it's the message of grace, and if we as Christ followers would fully engage in living this, in sharing this message, I'm telling you, the message of grace will not only change your life, it'll change your friends' lives, it'll change your community's life, the community that you're in, because here's the thing, as we're about to see, Through grace, what God does is he steps into our mess and he provides us the hope that we need where sin has messed up our lives so drastically and so violently. So today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So that we can see the importance of why the message of grace is so, so vitally important in our world. So if you got your Bibles, again, this is going to be an easy find. We're going to read a few verses out of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to go there. It's the first verse. Um, first let or written, written uh, part of your Bible, you want to go there? Chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, you can find it. Now, these chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3, basically what they do is they explain to us how sorrow and death were introduced into this world and how they all showed up at the same time. But more importantly, these verses, what they do is they explain what God did to remedy these biggest issues that sin, sorrow, and death caused in our lives. So what we're going to do is we begin reading today in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Now, what we're going to read, it takes place after what we looked at last week, and that is after God has created the heavens and the earth. And it takes place before any sin or any sorrow or any death has existed. In fact, here's how the part of the story begins today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being now this isn't when eve was created i mean that comes a couple of verses later in this chapter but as we saw last week god created mankind this includes man women everybody who follows when he when he created us he chose to create us in his image Which means this, that we were created with something that no other part of creation has. We literally have the thumbprint, or some people say, we have the DNA of God within us. And what that means is this, is that you and I, we were created to have the ability to experience community and experience communication with God. It's why we were created not only with a body, but also with a soul and a spirit, which means that we were given a conscience to serve like as a moral guide for our life, and then we were designed by God because we were given that conscience, and and we have the DNA or the thumbprint of God in our life. We were designed to live with meaning and purpose in this life through a relationship with God. Now, here's the thing. Don't take that for granted because when you really stop and think about it, God could have created a world full of a bunch of people who all thought alike, who all acted alike. I mean, like our earth could have looked like a big box store full of robots. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he could have done that. All the same make and same kind of model, right? But instead, as an expression of his grace, don't miss this, as an expression of his grace, God created each of us, with our own individual uniqueness, our own individual passions, and our own individual purpose. See, that was God's expression of grace to all of us. He made us all unique individuals as an act of grace. And notice what else he did. Verse 8. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. Now, don't miss this. Now, the Lord God had planted, literally, he he created, he he designed this garden in the east, and then he put the man that he had formed. And this is really amazing. If you just happen to read through this chapter, you just kind of blow by that. But you got to think about, if God has planted a garden, and God has nurtured a garden, as we read, I mean, this thing is just amazing. I mean, it's like, God didn't just create Adam and say, okay, you need to go figure out how you're going to survive. You need to figure out where you're going to live. No, 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 no. God planned and he put together this place where they could not just survive, but they could thrive because they would have so much abundance. I mean, it's like God put in the time and God put in the effort preparing like a particular special place for Adam and Eve. And and as we talked about last week, it was just like this special, breathtakingly beautiful place that had so much abundance. And when it was all perfect, and he had it just like he wanted, and he looks back and goes, oh, that's going to be good for them. Then he creates mankind, and he hands over the keys and says, hey, I want you to enjoy this. In fact, listen to what verse 15 says. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now you got to remember there were a lot of different trees in this garden. As we learned last week, I mean, like there was abundantly more than what Adam and Eve needed to survive. I mean, they had everything they needed and more. They had the ability to thrive. And so God says, hey, I've given all of this to you for your pleasure. Just enjoy it. Now notice verse 17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God says to Adam, hey, everything here is for you everything i've created is an expression of my grace i'm just giving this to you because i want good for you i love you i created you i want you to experience the abundance of my grace just one thing don't eat from this tree right here all the rest of them are good but stay away from that one because when you eat from it There are going to be some consequences unlocked that you don't want to experience. In other words, he's saying, if you eat from this tree, you're going to usher into this world sin, sorrow, and death. In fact, God telling Adam and Eve not to eat of this tree, it was a statement of his grace. He's saying, I don't want you to experience the results of what happens if you do that. Now, I don't want you to miss that. Because some of you, you think a relationship with God is based on obeying a bunch of rules. And the reality is, as we saw last week, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, think about it. When God had the world just the way he wanted it, he gave mankind all kind of freedom. Enjoy all of this. Just enjoy it. It's there for your joy. It's there for your your taking. Just enjoy it. And there was only one rule. I mean, there was like freedom to eat from like hundreds of trees and plants. He's like, make yourself at home, enjoy everything. There was only one simple tree that God said, you need to stay away from that tree. See, here's the thing. God's grace is extravagant. And when we live in His grace, His requirements, they were minimal. So every day, think about it this way. Adam and Eve, they get up in the morning, and they basically have a choice to make. They get to decide whether to trust God or not with this incredible gift that God has given them, this place to live. And and for a period of time, we don't know how long, but they trusted God. And as a result of them trusting God, they're enjoying the grace of God. They're enjoying the abundance of God. And there is no sin, and there is no sorrow, and there is no death in this world. I mean, there's no deception, there's no drama, there's no guilt, there's no shame. Instead, they're like enjoying a perfect, uninterrupted relationship with their heavenly father. Imagine that. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Like no stress, no drama, no sickness, no pain, no difficulty. It's just this wonderful world and where there's abundance and the presence of God. Wow. Now, if the story ended right there, our lives in this world, it would be so much different, would it? I mean, can you imagine a world with no sin, no sorrow, and no death? A world where there's like no natural disease, no, no natural disasters, no danger, no pain, no suffering, no stress, no fear. Can, can you imagine a world like that? Well, that's where they were living. But unfortunately, in spite of God's extravagant grace, the story doesn't end there. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, we begin to uncover the explanation to all the problems that you experience and that I experience in this life. Notice what happens in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent, and this is referring to the means through which um, Satan came to deceive Adam and Eve, attempt them. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the reality is, no, God didn't say that. I mean, we just read that he said that you can eat from hundreds of trees, only no to one. So Eve's reply was this, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now notice Satan's reply. He says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Implication, God's not telling you the whole story. God's withholding something from you, maybe some, even some good from you. In fact, he goes on. For God knows, he elaborates on that, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Satan's saying to Eve, listen, God's holding back from you. There's something that God knows that you don't know. There's something that God has not released to you. I mean, you just need to understand that God is not giving you everything. He's not giving you the best. Like there's something, this is how Satan's tempting them. He's saying, there's something better than perfect out there that God doesn't want you to have. Think about that. And in verse 6, as a result of this temptation, as a result of Satan coming along and saying, hey, there's something better out there than perfect that God's withholding from you. In verse 6, they choose not to trust their heavenly father who had their best in mind. And because of that, here's what they do. When they choose not to trust, they choose to reject the grace that he's offered them. Notice what happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now I just want to tell you real quickly, we don't have time to go into this today, but if you look at this statement here, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, so every temptation you'll ever face is in these three statements, and desirable for gaining wisdom, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. Every temptation you'll face will include one of those three things. And that's how Satan does every time. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. See, it was in this moment, after being given a garden with more trees and more beauty and more than they could, abundance than they ever could imagine, it wasn't enough. They decided that's not enough. Life in a perfect environment is not enough. In spite of the fact that God had given them everything, they turned their backs on God because they felt like God was holding back something from them. And a result of this time, as a result of rejecting God's grace, they ushered in this world sin with all of its effects, sorrow with all of its pain, death with all of its finality. Now, here's the thing. We could read this and we go, oh, there's no way I would have ever done that. I mean, like they had all this abundance and everything was perfect. I would have never done that. And you know what? I used to think that I would never do that either. That if I'd have been Adam and Eve, I'd have been awesome, being in a perfect environment with God's presence and everything just being amazing. I used to think that too until I realized something, and that is this. I had this mentor. help helped me understand this. He said, you know, Paul, we do this every day in our life. We, we do this all the time, every day, In our life, while we say we'd never do it, we do. I mean, like, we see these two different paths, don't we? Right? So God comes along with a path, and he says, purity is the pathway to intimacy. And we go, okay, I hear what you're saying, God. But you know what? (laughs) With him or her inviting me in right now into their life, they're even inviting me to move in, you know. Looks like to me, if I follow her there, follow him there, man, I'll get what I want much quicker. So we choose the opposite path. In the path of purity. Or we're going down the path and it's like God says, hey, the path of generosity leads to more freedom and happiness and less stress than greed does. But we see this path where we can get more faster, and greed says, go, into, go ahead and go into debt. I think, I'll, I think you'll be happier or quicker buying that and, and going on taking that debt. And you go, I'm so tired of doing the right thing with my finances all the time. And so you choose the path of greed. Haven't we done that all the time? Or God says, you know, the path of forgiveness frees you from anger. And in the moment, you're so angry at this person because they betrayed you, and you go, "I don't see much benefit of letting go of my anger or letting go of this grudge. I, 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 I need this. This person deserves some revenge. Revenge will make me feel better than forgiveness. So you choose the path of unforgiveness. You know, we we could go on with different examples, but we all do this, don't we?" God says, hey, you can eat of any of these trees. Here's all these paths that are going to lead you to a closer relationship with me that, man, they're going to take your heart and connect with mine. But God, I think I can get to where I want to go faster. See, we face this tension all the time every day of our life, this constant tension to ignore God's path and do my own thing. Because see, oftentimes my path The temptation of Satan is, if you take this path, I seem to get what I want, and my way seems like a quicker way, and it's going to be the fastest way for me to be happy. But here is the problem with that. Every time you choose to sin, and and, and the choice to sin is, when I choose to take my path over the path that God has laid out. So every time you choose to sin, you're choosing to doubt the grace and the goodness of God because you think there's more. There's something better than what God is offering me on this path. And then just like Adam and Eve, when we go down that path, we find that there are consequences that we did not expect. There are fallout that we did not expect. There are ripples that almost take us under and drown us. And, and we don't understand that when we take that path. Because see, Satan doesn't tell us the whole truth. He goes to Eve, he says, oh, you won't surely die. Like, you're not going to die in that moment. And she did not physically die in that moment. Physical death entered into her existence in the future. But man, there were so many other things that died in that moment. Notice this in the next verse. Then the eyes of both of them were open. Because at this moment, so many things died. This death became a reality emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And this is not just referring to physical nakedness. This is also emotional, spiritual, relational. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Listen, this is like the first time they've ever felt guilt and shame since they were created. Because the thing you have to understand is this. The emotion of guilt and shame always follows sin. Don't miss that. Every time you sin, You will experience the emotion of guilt and shame. They felt shame in their relationship with each other. They felt guilt and shame in their relationship with God. And here's the reality. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. We we know what it's like to choose our path, to go opposite of God's way, and then feel guilt and shame. And here's what makes this so difficult. No matter how hard you work to try to clean up your mess, to try to clean up behavior, to make up for what you did, you can't get rid of guilt and shame on your own. It'll never happen. You can't clean up your mess. You can't change your behavior. You can't make up enough for what you did to get rid of guilt and shame on your own. Don't miss this. In fact, let's read on. Then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Because see, they made fig leaves. They made coverings for themselves trying to make up for their guilt and shame. But notice it didn't work. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now here's the thing. You, you read that and you could go, Oh, that really seems foolish to hide from God in a world that he created, especially with Him." is all-seeing and all-knowing. But we get it, don't we? Because, like, when we sin, isn't that what we do? Like, we stop praying as much. We start reading our Bible as much. We stop attending church as much. We stop showing up to our small group as much. I mean, like, we quit having conversations with people who are going to hold us accountable spiritually because we want to hide. And the reason is simple. See, sin isn't just breaking a rule of God. Don't miss this. Sin is not just breaking a rule of God. It's much greater than that. Sin is you deciding to break your relationship with God because you think there's something better out there. Don't miss that. Sin is you deciding that you are going to break your relationship with God because you believe there is something better out there than what God has to offer. So every time you doubt the goodness and the grace of God and choose that path opposite of God's path, you're choosing to break the trust you have in God and broken trust leads to broken relationships. And before you know what you're doing, just like Adam and Eve, you're hiding from God. You're avoiding God because you know what you've done. And just like Adam and Eve, you are filled with so much guilt and so much shame that you hide. Now here's where this starts getting really, really practical. What's God to do when he gives us everything freely and still gets rejected? What's God to do when he's given us everything freely, in abundance, grace, on grace, on grace? What's he to do when he gives us everything freely and still gets rejected? And before you give some kind of Sunday school answer, let me ask it this way. What do you do when you are good and you are generous and you are gracious towards someone and they betray you? But what do you do? I mean, let's be honest here. Like, what do you do, like, when you're good and you're gracious and, and you go above and beyond for someone else and they betray you? What do you do? Well, here's what you do. You do what I do. You get angry. You want revenge. You, you hope and start praying, God, help them to reap what they sow. Help them to get what they deserve. And if you had the power of God in you, you would make sure that happened, wouldn't you? But, you know, that's not what God did. And this is what makes God's grace so absolutely amazing. And it's what makes this story so powerful. Instead of giving Adam and Eve, instead of giving us what we deserved, he did the exact opposite. Look at verse 21. Here's what he did. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and and his wife, and he clothed them. God says, listen, I see that you feel shame. I see that you feel guilt. So I'm going to clothe you with garments That will help you know I am for you. I'm not going to let you suffer in your guilt and shame. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to wipe you out and just start over. Because, you know, with a different group of people that might be more grateful for my grace. And more grateful for the abundance that I gave them. More grateful for my goodness. No, no, no. In fact, God says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get personally involved in helping solve the problem that you just created. I'm going to get personally involved in providing a solution for your sin, your sorrow, and your death that you're going to experience. In fact, another way to put this is this. Because of God's extravagant grace, God chose to clean up what we had messed up. And that's amazing when you stop and think about it. Like in his grace, God says, I see the mess that you've made in terms of your our relationship to each other and your relationship to me. But I'm not going to respond with like immediate judgment or condemnation or more rules. I'm simply going to extend my relationship to you again. Like there's going to be natural consequences. Is there going to be? Yes. And, and you're going to experience those. But my grace is still there for you. My grace, it will never go away. And while it is awesome and amazing to think about that God's extravagant grace caused God to choose to clean up what we had messed up, never underestimate the cost to God to clean up what you messed up and what I messed up. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, God clothed them. Remember the verse? God clothed them in garments of skin, which means God had to shed the blood of an innocent animal to extend his grace and to cover their shame. And I am sure that just had to be shocking to Adam and Eve in that moment because they had never seen anything die before. They had never seen bloodshed happen before. And just as we remembered on Easter a couple weeks ago, centuries later, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he shed his, sent his son to shed his blood on the cross to pay the debt that Adam owed for his sin and Eve owed for her sin and you owed for your sin and I owed for my sin. In other words... Because of God's extravagant grace, he extended a relationship with us again, just like he did for Adam and Eve. Once and for all through Jesus Christ, God cleaned up what we had messed up, what you and I had messed up through Jesus' death on the cross for you and for me. Which is why a right standing with God comes through faith in Jesus Christ by his grace. Folks, that is the power of grace. So as we close the day, um, there's two groups of people that I, I want to address. The first group of people is those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ and, and you've experienced this extravagant abundant grace. Well, when you think about grace, do you realize what you have? Do you realize the message that God has placed in your hands? Do you realize how important it is that of what we do collectively as a church family in this world? Do you understand how important it is that we share the message of grace? I mean, like our job is to live and share the message of Jesus and, and the grace of Jesus I mean, it's so, so important that we share this message in a clear and concise and creative and compelling way so that nobody, as the writer of Hebrews says, so that nobody misses the grace of God. I mean, it's, it's like why we've been launching campuses over the year or merging campuses, not, not because we're looking for something else to do, but because God has chosen you as a Christ follower, and he's chosen me as a Christ follower to take his message of the grace of God to people who may never, never hear it or see it unless we engage in their lives. See, that's what you're on this earth to do. It's what I'm on this earth to do. And oh, yeah, we got all these things we have to do every day in our life. We got school, we got work, we got kids. I mean, we got extracurricular activities, we got all of that. But listen, wherever you are and whatever you do, the best path is to live always sharing this amazing, extravagant message of grace. Because ultimately, folks, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to see that no one misses. God's extravagant grace. And so if you're a Christ follower this week, man, please don't miss that. Share it with people by the things that you say, by how you live, by the way that you're generous. Listen, the only way that we can show that we are for people and that the grace of God is for people is by being people of grace. Folks, this message, it matters. It's the most important message in this world, and it's more important in our world than it's ever, ever been. Now, there's another group of you, and you're listening to this, and... You've never embraced the grace and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And you know what it's like to deal with the problems that come from sin and sorrow and death. And and you know what it's like to feel guilt and shame and to stumble through life like doing this hiding dance with God because there have been moments when you didn't live up to your standard, much less God's standard. I'm telling you, we have been praying for you today. We're praying that today, It just makes sense. And you realize that you don't have to do this hiding dance with God anymore. That God simply wants to forgive you. God wants to bring you into his family. He wants you to enjoy the freedom of living in his grace. So maybe for you today... The path that God is calling you to take is, is, is not to try to prove yourself and make up for everything you did in your past, but to quit hiding. Maybe your best path is to choose, stop trying to do enough and make for up for what you messed up and just trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Listen, today can be your day. No matter what campus you're on or what you came in feeling and thinking, the guilt, the level of shame... Today can be the day when you experience God's abundant grace. So I want to close today by just leading you in a prayer of how you can experience and express that to God. On every campus, will you bow your heads with me and open your hearts to God? God, for those of us who call ourselves your children, because we've received your grace, I, I pray this week, God, that you will help us to live out the message of grace. God, in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in the way that we live, and the way that we show generosity and kindness toward others. God, help us to be people who declare by our life and our words. This amazing message. God, there are also some very precious people to you this morning that are listening to this message. They matter to you and they matter to us because you, you died. You love them so much that you died for them to give them this gift, just like all of us, this incredible gift of grace. And if you're with us on one of our campuses or listening this morning, and you've never received God's gift of forgiveness and you're not living in his grace, will you just say this in your heart as I say it out loud? Will you just say, Heavenly Father, today I admit that I am a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I repent of my sin. Literally, I repent of taking my own path and trying to find a better way than what you offer. And today I, I turn back to you and I ask you to come in my heart and be my Lord and my Savior and my sin forgiver. Today, I choose to believe that you offer me the best, that there's nothing better. I'm choosing from this day forward to live in your grace. Thank you for the power and the person of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you're opening up a path for me to take that's going to give me freedom of grace. That's going to remove my guilt and my shame because of grace. it's going to remind me that I'm forgiven because of your grace. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, please let us know before you leave today. Let someone in our guest services team know, or you can stop by the gallery on your campus and let someone know there. If you've got any other questions about how you can live in God's grace, we'd love to answer those questions for you. Hey, have a great day. We'll see you next week.